Hey, hey, it's Rebecca, and you're listening to Resilient by Design. Today, I'm interviewing Brian Kaplan. He is a repeat guest. Guys, I can't believe I've had this podcast long enough to have a repeat guest. He's my first. And uh, the reason being that we, he and I were talking offline, and we started talking about the builder designer relationship and uh, and like how it can be such a challenge and such a pain point for designers. Um, and he sort of said, well, is this something that your audience would be interested in? And I was like, um, I'm interested in this. And then I pulled Facebook, our designer meetup group, and was like, hey guys, like, what are the challenges you face when working with a builder? And I got so many responses. So I'm like, yep, yep, Brian, we're doing this podcast. Um, I think you guys are going to really like this one. He is a former contractor builder and he coaches builders and construction companies and trades. So he is a really great person to talk to about our frustrations with timelines, with scheduling, with communication, with your how to find your A-team. Uh, so this podcast is really awesome. It's pretty in-depth. And at the end... We share a little surprise that's coming to our Power of Process members. So stay tuned. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to remind everyone that the cart is currently open for the Power of Process course. Um, this is the course that I am offering to designers, decorators, stagers to help you get control of your business. Honestly, having a set repeatable process and systems in my business are what have transformed my daily life. It's what's allowed me to sit here and spend half a day recording podcasts, not sweating or worrying or thinking about what's happening on my client projects. If you're worried about, you know, having the confidence to implement a process with your clients, or if you're feeling exhausted or like life is chaotic, you're super time strapped and you're busy and you don't even know if you'll have time to do this, this course is for you. I know it sounds counterintuitive. Take a course. It's going to take time. It's really going to distill it down to the basic steps. I'm going to walk you through step-by-step step how to take what you currently have in your business and build a customized, unique process to you using my own process as an example and other processes because I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. As much as we all want to have some, um, what would you call it? Not conformity, that's the wrong word. As much as we all want the industry to have standards, at the same time, we all offer a different type of service and we are all unique. And so I think your process, though it should be a process, um, can be unique to you. So that's what the Power of Process course is all about. The cart closes on November the 12th. Uh, go on over and sign up, rebeccahay.com forward slash Power of Process. See you there. All right. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Hay, and I've built a successful interior design business by trial and error, podcasts, online courses, and so many freaking books. Over the last decade, I've grown from an insecure student to having false starts to careers, and now I'm finally in the place where I want to be. Throughout my journey, it's been pretty obvious that I'm passionate about business and helping other entrepreneurs do the same. Each week, I'll share tangible takeaways from my own experience and the experiences of other badass women to help you build your confidence and change your business.
Guys, are you getting sick of working from home and being all by yourself and not getting out and about? That's one of the things we love as designers, right? I know I am. And that's why I've loved coming to the Collective Workspace. It's a co-working space for the design and architectural industry here in Toronto, and membership is totally affordable. You can get an office space for a flex starting at $99. Also included in your membership is boardroom rental and hello, podcast booth. That's where I am right now, and I love it. If you guys want to find out more about The Collective, go to thecollectivetoe.com. Hey, hey, Brian, what's up? Thanks for coming back. Oh, do you know that you're the first repeat guest on my podcast? Oh, I feel honored. Do I get a, what do I get for that? Do I get a certificate or something? You get a (laughs) virtual high five. Yeah, there we go. High fives all around. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Happy to be here again. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so excited that you're here because this this conversation really kind of came up organically, right? You and I were talking about collaborating and, and doing sort of some additional training on sales for my upcoming Power of Process course. And then we started talking and we were like, well, what do designers really want to know from a builder? And you came up with this idea and I'm like, oh, obviously. You're like, well, what about like working with builders and trades? Like, is that a pain point? I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like literally my biggest pain point. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think... Um, yeah, I just think that in general terms in the industry, it's, it can be a real challenge. Everyone kind of working together as different stakeholders in a project and all of that. And just part of it comes back to, and I think part of where my mindset was is when we talk about sales, I always talk about the sort of psychology of all of this sort of thing. And, and that's really what kind of transitioned my thought process into how do we all get along on a project, right? We don't always get along, right? <laughs> right, designers? We don't always get along. You know, sometimes I would tell you, it's so funny. I think I mentioned this to you before, but we we have these quarterly rock reviews with my team and our previous intern is now a junior designer with us. And she said, because we sit down and we go through what are the issues facing the organization? Um, and so one of the issues she brought up, she's like, well, I feel like the issue we continually have is the contractor and <laughs> finding the right, perfect contractor. I'm like, girl, we've been having this issue since before the beginning of time. I was going to say. <laughs> I don't have a solution. I'm like, we keep thinking we're going to find this unicorn contractor who's going to be like the perfect person. And so we've just learned to kind of understand the necessary evils of each person. That's awful to say, but everyone has their pros and cons. And yeah. I'm sure it's, I'm sure the builders and contractors on the other side are thinking that about us. So you know what? Conversation. You know what? The truth is, is that as builders, like if you're a remodeler or renovator, general contractor or custom house builder, you know, we have to do a lot of chasing ourselves, right? The specialty trade partners that we work with, a lot of them are really great craftspeople, but they're not very good business owners. And I think that's where a big divide happens in this industry. And I think that's where a lot of the friction comes into play. I mean, it's part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing to try to help change that. And I think that sort of that ripple effect is felt both by designers, architects, as well as us as, you know, GCs and builders. Yeah. And I would say, obviously, on the design front, same thing. A lot of designers, most of us are not business-minded. We are, we are artists. We are craftspeople in our own trade, right? Yeah. So there can be that frustration probably from the other side. Totally. So yeah. here's, I'm going to tell you what I did. So I went, knowing we were going to have this podcast and this conversation, I went into my Facebook community of designers, the Designer Meetup Facebook group, and I asked 
this question. I said, what's your biggest challenge when it comes to working with trades or builders? And honestly, the response was overwhelming. There were so many comments. So I sort of thought maybe I could pull a few of those comments out and we can kind of speak to that and you can give us sort of your take on it and help educate and help us to improve our relationships, excuse me, and improve, you know, that partnership that you talk about with our builders. Absolutely. Okay. So one of the, one of the sort of pain points is, uh, this is a good one, starting the communication with a new contractor on a new project. So I guess someone you haven't worked with before. Um, she specifically is talking about cabinetry designers and that sometimes, I guess, a millwork company has a hard time respecting the design when it's not their own sometimes. Yeah. So let's break that apart into the two things. Because when when I hear those two statements, they are connected, obviously, but different. And I think the first you know point there about you know working with a new builder on a new project much like we would work with a client, I think, you know, what you'll hear today is a lot of these points are applicable to the client realm as well. It's all about expectation setting. It's all about communication. It's really what it comes down to. I can tell you that 100% of all the problems that happen in residential construction are a result of communication, either omissions, errors, or, you know, uh, just not communicating at all kind of thing. And ultimately, it just comes down to, you know, we talk about this all the time, we need to have a process, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, pun intended here is that you need to have a process, you need to be able to walk, if I'm a builder, and I'm meeting a client, or if you're a designer, and you're meeting a client, you need to be able to walk that client through the steps that it takes to take them from where they are to where they want to go kind of thing. And what does it look like along the way? It's no different than when we meet a new trade partner, a new contractor or builder that, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to work with, we have to be able to help them understand what our process is and walk them through that. And it's really a collaborative type of effort is really what it comes down to. So it's about, I would say at the beginning of that journey, it's about expectation setting on both sides. And, you know, always coming back to the psychology a little bit, which we'll dig into through this podcast today is we'll just talk about, it's important for us to always put ourselves in in the other person's shoes and try to understand what the motivators are. Um, To speak to the second point about cabinetry designers, you know, there's no question I've seen this for, for years, you know, I worked, you know, in large scale, you know, addition renovation projects here in Toronto, worked with a lot of designers. And then there would be a cabinet shop that had their own cabinet drafts person. And sometimes there would be competing interests. There's no question about it. Um, That one is, is kind of an angle that, I would say as builders, we try to facilitate, but we don't necessarily have a vested interest in, I would say, other than making sure the cabinetry fits and all the rough-ins are in the right spot. You know, (laughs) this might be sad to say, but we kind of let you guys hash it out. (laughs) Um, And we're there as the quarterbacks. (laughs) Let's interpret that. You don't care what it looks like so much. (laughs) No, you know. (laughs) Get it in, make make sure the client's happy. No. And I think, look, I'm generalizing, but I think there's a lot of fantastic renovators, remodelers, custom home builders out there. We obviously do care about what the finished product looks like. Our goal is the same. You know, we are on, you know, I don't want to use sides or anything like that because that's, that's really a different perspective than what I like to teach, but we are really on the same team. We're all driving towards the same goal. And ultimately we do care what it looks like because Look, if you're a remodeler or builder listening to this, or if you're a designer listening to this, the finished photo is one of your strongest marketing assets. And so you should care what it looks like, um, not just we'll put in what you want us to put in kind of thing. 
Yeah. And it probably comes down to that. I think with, with cabinetry design, sometimes I know designers, we want to push the boundary. We want to be extra creative. We want it to look unique. We want it to get in a magazine. So we can't do a cookie cutter, but sometimes a trade, perhaps a millwork company might just want to get this one through so they can move on to the next project. So they might, and I can't, I don't know exactly where this person's um, experience lies, but in this question, but um, that's been my experience. Sometimes trades in general, I'm not saying everybody will not cut corners, but we'll, 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 I'm trying to be really politically correct <laughs> because I have my own frustrations, but like not sure. like just want to move on and get the job done. And yeah. sometimes we'll just go the easy route. So, and I'm, I'm noticing this a lot right now with this sustainability angle that I'm trying to push for my own projects and, and seeing a bit of resistance where, a, where I might say to a contractor, well, I don't want, I'd like to do a green certified MDF, like a NAF, like one that doesn't have added yeah. formaldehyde. And then yeah. the contractor will say, well, you know, I, I looked it up on Google and you know what, the, the new MDFs aren't that bad. So right. there's that resistance to change, that resistance yeah. to, oh my gosh, you're making my job. I have to step out of my regular every day to work with a designer. Um, and so I think there's a bit of resistance there sometimes. For sure. Um, you know, the reality quite simply is if we look at what are the drivers for the mill workshop or the cabinetry company, <clears throat> excuse me, Cabinetry shops that are like bespoke type of cabinetry shops that do one-off kitchens, the margins are not great is, is a reality. So if we look at this from a business perspective, you know, and I've had lots of conversations with a lot of the prominent shops and I've worked with a lot of them over the years. The, the truth is, is that just like you said, they kind of want to bang that kitchen out, get to the next one because the margins aren't, they're slim, right? They're not big margins. And all it takes is, you know, mess ups on the installation or uh, I have a funny story. We, we were, <laughs> for a company I worked for, we were building the owner's kitchen and the cabinetry started showing up. It was a massive kitchen and it was a painted gray and we had a control sample and everything like that. But they just had a problem, obviously, with the person spraying or it wasn't the same person. So as they were delivering the pieces, the shade went from darker to lighter (laughs) as you got from one end of the kitchen to the other. It was an ombre kitchen. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Could have looked cool, but it wasn't the intended design. And so I think the point there I'm trying to make is that they lose money on that, right? Because now they're just, you know, all that wasted effort, time, material, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and I think this is where part of that crux is for us. You know, when we talk about being creative versus the production reality size of the side of the business, there's a bit of a incongruency there, right? Because they don't, both sides can't respect each other. And I don't mean us people. I just mean the being really creative and having that, you know, pushing the boundaries kind of thing versus the business model that a lot of these mill workshops have. Look, running a mill workshop is very challenging to make profitable. There are probably more mill workshops that fail or maybe the same level than restaurants. And that restaurants are the highest failure rate of businesses in general. So millwork is probably a very close second. I'm just pulling that number out of thin air or that stat out of thin air. So don't quote <laughs> me on that. But I don't know. I can tell you, I, I know a ton of millwork people that have gone out of business. It is a very hard thing to keep running. Mm, that explains why that one company I worked with, he was a total a-hole. And anyways, I'll <laughs> do it. I'll never use them again. Um, so, okay. That's really interesting. So I think in the other questions that came up that are related to this, I just want to kind of highlight them. 
Because you're saying you have to set the expectations from the beginning, which I agree. And that's what I talk about all the time to my students about setting the expectations with your clients from the beginning, about what to expect, what the experience is going to be like, what it's going to cost, all the things. Um, So I've actually a question for you specifically what we tried to do a couple of years ago is create a little one page document for our trades. Tell Mm -hmm. me how you think this would be received. We haven't been doing it lately um, where it was kind of like, it wasn't, here's our expectations, but it was like, here's what it's like to work with us. Uh, we do a treat, trade day and like, it's kind of like outlining our expectations. Like we will design everything up front and ask for quotes. And it was a little one pager that we would give to trades that we were working with. So they kind of were like, okay, this is how it goes. I'm pretty sure that anyone we gave it to just stuffed it in their bag and didn't read it. So how would you say, because someone else asked about a kickoff, right? Do you meet with them at the start? Um, I mean, we're obviously speaking specifically right now to renovation, but do you meet with them to start to go over the design details? Um, Or what else can we do in that area? Like best practices, documents, like do you do a document like I did? Like what do you suggest for a designer, design firm about to start a project, whether it's an existing trade or a new trade, how do we set those expectations early on? And like, how do we establish a good working relationship from the get-go? Yeah, great question. And I think it comes back to communication first and foremost. So let me reverse this a little bit or wind it back a bit and just, you know, it's a bit of awareness for people to know. So if you're a designer listening to this in any discipline of design, if your contractor or builder, remodel or renovator has not been part of that design journey to date, we always have to recognize that they're coming into it and it's a bit cold for them, meaning that they just don't know as much as you know. So as we know, when we go through a project, you go through a client relationship. You, when you first meet the client to when you actually engage with them to when you actually start designing from them and all the way through the timeline, you're constantly developing the design, learning more about them, et cetera, et cetera. You compare that with when you first met them, there's a stark difference there, right? And that is kind of just a bit of an awareness for anybody that is, you know, bringing a builder in to the to the fray. We just have to recognize exactly where that builder's starting from and kind of respect that a little bit. And, and what I mean by that is just help unpack it as simply as we can provide as much detail as we can. And I think the kickoff is a fantastic way to do that. It's just, again, the awareness of where that other builder is starting. If they've been part of that process or design journey, then they're up to speed. But the reality is they're probably not. And so as a former builder, I can tell you that when we would meet an architect or or design team and there was plans that had already been developed, you know, you guys might've been chatting for months before we've kind of entered the fray. We don't know, you know, basically an eighth of what you know about the client, about the design, about the characteristics of the house, all these sorts of things. And I think it's easy for us to probably overlook that. I mean, I know I do that in general terms. I'll assume so much, especially when we would host trade days, because I've been part of this project for months. And now I'm bringing the electrician, the plumber, and the HVAC guy in. And I forget that they're not, they haven't been part of that journey all the way along. Mm-hmm. And I, I would like to add to that because I think what's helped us a lot is having, uh, as soon as the client hires us, we do a trade day and we haven't designed anything. And yeah. what that is, is that's our opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, my opportunity to get my team in because they may not have been at the consultation with me and to bring in our contractor, our drapery installer, whoever is required by the design to walk through the space and literally troubleshoot and come up with ideas in a way with me. Um, so I'll say, here's what I'm thinking, you know, and then that person or that trade might say, well, you've got HVAC in this wall, so we'll have to redirect it. And so I might think, okay, well, let's maybe reconsider. 
So they're in a way, like you say, they're a little bit a part of the process. Then we still go and we design it. But as we're designing, we're able to call that trade and say, hey, we're thinking of putting this wall here. What do you think? Or let me send my drawings over. Can you, can you quote it? So that by the time we get to kickoff, which is in our third phase, kickoff, and hopefully we, hopefully we work with that same trade. It doesn't always work out that way. But if we work with that same trade who came to trade day, they've been in the space before, they've seen our drawings. So kickoff is really just a formality to just re-familiarize everybody with the space. Yeah. And there's something in there that, that you said that I just want to kind of highlight and really build on as well, is that concept of the trade day. And the trade day is such a valuable thing. And what, the way I always used to phrase it is that like I know a lot about a lot of things when it comes to construction, but I don't know everything. And things are constantly evolving and changing as well. And other people are going to see things in just a different perspective. And if you can set your ego, and I'm speaking more to the male population here, um, <laughs> if you can set your ego aside for a second and know that you don't know it all, if you can be receptive to hearing other people's feedback and using all those other sets of eyes to help you build that scope of work properly, you're going to minimize all that friction throughout the process that you, you know, as I'm saying that you're probably thinking of all these examples, right? And we've all gone through it. So, you know, again, for the builders or modelers, you know, like we have to kind of stand beside ourselves a little bit and be receptive to hearing that feedback. And I think that it's great if designers as well can, can do the same sort of thing and listen intently, you know, and this is where there's always that challenge between the creative vision of the project versus the, you know, a lot of construction guys are just like, we're nuts and bolts kind of guys, you know, like we're just like, we will build it based on what's, you know, we always go to the plan. Right. And, and I think it's hard do potentially. You know? Do you look at the plan? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not speaking to you specifically, personally, yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't know if everyone's reading our plan. <laughs> well, you know, that's a whole, that's probably a whole other podcast, but um, the truth is, is that, I think it just comes down to the fact that like we are fairly nuts and bolts and we will hopefully typically go to the plans. We always did always. What does the plan say? One of the things that I used to kind of mentor and teach my PMs and say supers and, and leads on was that we have to respect the design, you know, and that is something that we just talked about at the beginning of this podcast about cabinetry, but just, it kind of flows through for everything. There is a, especially in the renovations and remodeling world, like there is the best case scenario and then there's reality kind of thing. But the, I think this crux that we're kind of dancing around between design and what actually gets built, it's all about builders, remodelers, renovators, respecting the design intent and trying to work collaboratively with, with you guys as a population of design partners to basically make that a reality. And it really comes down to that communication is, is really what the bottom line is. So there's, there's two words I use. It's really three, early and often. But early and often are the two key words yes. there. Yeah, that's, yes. that's, <laughs> that's so true. And everything in life, early and often, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Sorry, I you, you, but it's so no, no, cool. it, no, it's awesome. And and the truth is, it, it does. Just like you said, it goes through everything in life, especially in business, especially in this world of construction. You know. I use this heavily when we talk about change orders with, you know, our builders going to our clients and, you know, you and I've obviously chatted about change orders before. Um, 
early and often is really the thing is like, let's get it out there and let's basically not let it build up. You know, a simple example is like, you know, for my builders that have to do job cost coding, right? They let a stack of receipts start piling up. Once that receipt pile gets a little bit too big, they're not inclined to actually do anything with it. It becomes friction. And so same sort of thing here is like very early and often, as soon as we know things, we want to bring it up. Um, But we also you know, kind of want to be collaborative in all that, that entire approach, right? From both the design and the builder side. And this is where, again, this crux that we keep dancing around is always a big challenge because there really is no black and white answer, especially in that renovations and remodeling world. So it really comes down to when we talk about kind of like, what does our A team look like? It really comes down to a personality fit, right? It's no different than, as I said at the beginning, a lot of these topics and discussions we're having apply to our client side as well, right? If we don't think we can get along with a client, we're not going to hire them as our client, right? We're not going to take them on as a client because we just can't get along. And I think it follows through that in order to build a strong team, there has to be, there has to be like a personality alignment here first and foremost, I love that you say that. You know, I've never really thought about it that way, but it's something that I think we tend to, um, I don't know, we tend to overlook when we're getting a client, hiring an employee, finding a trade. Personality is so freaking important. And I've learned my lesson through employees that were not the right fit, but had the credentials and then it didn't work out. Uh, Not trusting my gut with a client who seemed kind of difficult and we clashed, right? And then the whole process being so difficult for me. Uh, the same comes comes to um, trade. You know, I'm working with a contractor right now who's awesome to work with. And I compare him in my mind to someone who I've worked with before who would constantly say, don't worry, Rebecca, life is life's too short to stress. And it's like, no, 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 you have to take your job seriously. Yeah. So <laughs> I totally think personality is something. I think that's like almost a podcast on its own is recognizing. <laughs> and I think women have this weird... I don't know, it's not good, but this, um, we have this ability to have these instincts. But for some reason in business, we tend to not trust our instincts and we'll go to the credentials or we'll go to the referral or we'll look at the value of what somebody else said more than trusting what's... And I'm going really deep here, Brian, but like I, yeah. I really am having this like aha moment about how we continually think everybody else knows better. Or, you know, Susie Q worked with contractor Bill. Uh, and she raved about him. So he must be good, even though he's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. Or this yeah. this employee worked at these massive firms. Like she must be good. But even though I'm like, eh, I'm on the fence. So you tend to take these leaps based on other people's um, other people's opinions. O-P-O, other people's opinion. <laughs> uh, instead of really trusting. And I think you hit the nail on the head there with personality, especially when it comes to trades. And the, the frustrating thing, I think, for designers who are listening right now who are just starting out is you're like, oh my gosh, you know, how many frogs do I have to kiss till I find my contractor prince? It does feel that way a little bit because it's easy to say, work with the person who's the right fit. Well, you might have a job and you've got a client who wants to start right away and, and you don't have time to interview contractors and not everyone's available. Yeah. And it... Unfortunately, I think it's the nature of the beast is you, it's a bit of trial and error. For sure. 
So let me take you one level deeper on the psychology part there. And, you know, you talked about not trusting your gut and that we go, it's called, I don't know if the term is referral bias, but basically there's a cognitive function in our brains that makes us be attracted to what other people say and to take that as fact and use it as a measuring stick until proven wrong. And it's, it really comes down to the, if you wind it all the way back to like early civilization, it's all about and really follows through to today, we want to all be part of the team. We don't want to be left out, right? No one wants to be, you know, in the olden days, banished from the kingdom kind of thing. That surely meant death, right? And so it's a survival instinct that we have. There's there's literally a mental programming as to why that happens. Um, you And it's kind of why I always say life's too short to learn from your own mistakes, so learn from mine. That's the creed that I run my business by. Yet, a lot of people still have to make the mistakes for themselves and then have that aha moment and be like, okay, now I understand what you're talking about. So, so there's a reason why that exists. And it's easy for us to sit and say, Hey, learn from my mistakes or trust your gut. Because to your point, you might have a project, especially if you're starting out, or even the people that have been doing this for a while, you know, you might have been just like rolling from project to project to project and kind of maybe cycling through builders or contractors, renovators, et cetera, et cetera. And I think really what it comes down to is we have to have a strong intent about the team that we want to build. And then we have to, you know, consistently move towards that. This follows through with our clients, our employees, like you mentioned, um, is really just comes down to understanding like, who is that person? What is their personality? Can I get along with them is, is really what it comes down to. And um, ultimately that's, that's kind of the little secret sauce of success is, is basically putting in that energy on an ongoing basis as opposed to kind of, I don't want to say turning a blind eye to it, but accepting, you know, the the devil you know, so to speak. Oh, I know. And I say that I'm terrible, but I catch myself saying that to my team. I'm like, well, let's just work with this guy because it's better the devil you know. At least we know where, <laughs> you know, we at least we can anticipate where he, he is going to falter so that we can make up for it. But that's not really the answer. But it's that it seems to be the answer sometimes when you're busy and you don't have the time to try and find somebody else. But yeah. For sure. Oh my gosh, this is such a good conversation. Okay. I feel like there's so many other things to talk about, but this is so... Oh, I've just had this like light bulb moment about how this is kind of playing through in all the areas of business and life. I What I do think though, and I'm going to go on a tangent for a second, that I think is really interesting is I think we're living in a different time, a different period of time in the world. And what I mean by that is I think culture and society is... There's change happening. And I, mm-hmm. I and maybe it's just my age that I think this, so I'm a little bit more, um, a little bit more self-assured. I'm a bit more comfortable in my own shoes. But I, I don't know. It seems like around me there is something happening where it's all about trusting your instincts. It's all about authenticity, being yourself. Um, and and I think our industry is kind of breaking up a little bit, at least as from the interior design side, from being this completely untouchable, super snobby, super high end, super fancy, elite club. Um, I like to feel like I'm breaking it apart, but <laughs> honestly, like that was it's something that I think is slightly changing, and I think we're living in a world where it, it's okay to be different. It's okay to find a contractor that works with you, even if it's not the one that everyone's using, right? It's okay to um, have a quirky team of designers and they don't all dress in black. You know, you don't have to conform to this preconceived sort of notion of what a designer is. Sorry, that's my tangent. Oh, no. And I love it too. And, <laughs> and you know, it's funny. I, I feel that as well. Some of the best 
projects I've worked on in my time haven't been those $25 million, you know, leisure properties for the very wealthy people in Canada and the US, right? Like some of them have been main floor gut redos for 150 to 300,000, anywhere in that range kind of thing. And they're just the great people, great designer, great team. It was a blast to work with them. Um, you know, there wasn't, you know, sure there was those stressful or pop moments that people all have during the process, but it was very united in that perspective, as opposed to working on those like $25 million houses where everything is a business transaction. Every conversation is transactional in nature. There is that dressed in black, that kind of mystique, that kind of, you know, separate sort of, um, yeah, so like siloed kind of approach. And not to say it doesn't work, but it's not where I wanted to spend time. You know, you and I have chatted about that. Like, I, it's just not where I wanted to, you know, I kind of was like, life's bigger than this, right? I want to be more part of a team and kind of preach that. And I think, yeah, I think that there's definitely, there's definitely change that's happening. Um, I think authenticity is so critical. I think differentiation is so difficult to actually trust yourself to do. And I think this is where we're coming, you know, from with this trusting your gut is, and I always ask people, what's your differentiator? Like if, you know, if I was on a call with a builder that wants to coach with me, I always ask them like, why would someone hire you versus the next person? Cause I know lots of people in your network in your, in your area rather, why are they hiring you? And I usually get responses like, oh, it's, we're, you know, high quality and custom approach and all this sort of thing, like the same buzzwords, you know, everyone uses. And I'm like, no, push yourself outside that a little bit. Like really what makes you different. And it's really hard coming back to that survival instinct. You don't want to be banished from the kingdom, right? So it's hard for you to step outside that and push the boundaries. But ultimately that's really what it takes to, to really have great business successes and differentiate yourself in a very like red bloody sea that we're in. You know, if you want to be in that blue ocean, um, you know, you kind of need to find that differentiation tactic. Yeah. And I talk about that all the time. Early on in this podcast, you can go back. I don't know what number it is, but I did an entire podcast about the Blue Ocean strategy. And yeah, in my nice. course, I teach, I think there's a whole module on that, like finding what is it that differentiates you. Yeah. And it took me a while to do, but once I did it, it's been a game changer. Totally. 100%. Uh, okay. Yeah, sorry. You were going to say something. And then I want to jump into like the nitty gritty of like... On no, the let's go. Let's thing. go. Let's jump in because I could go okay. on a tangent about differentiation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's <laughs> for another one. Okay. So I, a lot of people were... were um, when I asked this question, and this is something that we continually deal with, is when you're on the job, communication... Yeah. I know we've talked about that a little bit, but this is what somebody said. Their struggle is that communication responding to questions or deliverables that they promise, they being the trade, to get to me all in a timely manner. I seem always to have to do the chasing with residential contractors. I've yet to work with a residential contractor or trade who respects the design and the drawings. I feel like there's a lot in here. Quite often, (laughs) they will have gone ahead and built something. Oh, this is something that doesn't happen a lot to us anymore, but used to happen a lot. When your contractor goes ahead and builds something without referring to the drawings, I mentioned that before. And then they get frustrated with the designer if what they built was incorrect or needs to be redone. And then what I, I will add to that is I struggle with being too nice. And even though the clients hired me to say, stick to the design or sorry, stay on top of the contractor, I feel bad. Here they've gone and built this whole thing. And it's sure, it's not what I designed. And I always am self-reflecting and like, well, what could I have done differently? But they blatantly right. just tried to move the job forward without attention to detail. Yeah. And and you're right. There is a lot here. So let's, let's break it down a little bit. So I think first and foremost, I just want to say off the top, 
as a former GC, um, in the, in my consulting group, we, we call ourselves recovering remodelers. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really know where, what's the, recovering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very stressful business. So it takes yeah. a toll on your life. Um, and so I want to just say right at the beginning here, as a busy remodeler, custom home builder, GC, we do a lot of chasing as well. Um, a lot of these, our specialty trade partners are fantastic craftspeople, but not very good business owners, right? As we've talked about. And so I just want to say first and foremost that you're not alone. Um, we all sort of face this challenge. And then if we we kind of you know get back to the beginning of this journey and we talk about design intent, we talk about what's being constructed and all this sort of thing. We mix that communication component in. Here's what I'll tell you from a builder's perspective. As a builder, we, you know, think about the millwork example we talked about where we said that we want that kitchen to kind of be, you know, like if we're doing a custom kitchen, we want to have it all flushed out. So when we put it through production, we can just bang it out, get it done, ship it out and move on to the next one. Cause those margins are quite slim as a residential remodeler and renovator or custom home builder, depending on how long you've been in business, how much business acumen you have, how many sort of financial systems you have in place, chances are your margins aren't that great either, especially when we start getting into this high-end world where cost plus or time and material billing is very prominent, that margin is fixed. And it ultimately, what it really means is that we have to basically be able to uh, produce that work seamlessly. And I think this is where there's a big challenge. And again, speaking as a former builder, I can tell you that there's been lots of design partners I've worked with that I would say haven't done a great job of being ahead of what we're building and making sure that we have the details and the time frame that we need it. But this goes both ways. And I'm not just pinning this on the design team. This is an, a two-way street. As builders, and this is where we come back to this team approach, right? It's not, it's we, not me. Um, we have to work together and we have to give our design partners sort of like a triage of what we need first and kind of the order and sequence that we need it. And that's something that I work on with the building clients that I work with is, you know, basically highlighting our typical flow. What are the, you know, we need windows, doors, and plumbing fixtures first. That is the first thing that every builder needs, right? And so, excuse me, um, we have to basically communicate that to our design partners. We have to give you a thorough list. Now, majority of builders, I would say out there don't have this, right? This is not something that they actually have that they can communicate with. So this is why I'm saying it's a two-way street. It's not just the details not coming to us. It's that we have to also be clear with what we need and kind of when we need it. And I think that call to action in terms of scheduling it, that is one of the most critical aspects, I would say, of a building project is just having those defined design decision dates so that we're clear on exactly what we're getting, when we're getting it. And we can kind of, you know, again, I keep using the word we because it's so important. Like this is a mental programming thing. Instead of saying, I need this, I need this. It's we need this, we need this kind of thing. Oh my God. Okay. I just had like a light bulb. Another light bulb moment I wrote it down. I think that's really, first I'll say that I agree with you. And that's what part of my process has the biggest part of the change in my process from what it used to be to what it is now is that we design everything up front. And it was very, very hard at first. Very yeah. Like, oh my yeah. God, so much work. Like so much work that it took me a few projects that I really started selecting everything up front because I would say, well, I don't need to pick that now. I'll pick that later. But yeah. by picking everything together, not only does it help come up with a better design because you can really get a visual of how everything works together, you can eliminate that decision fatigue for yourself and your client. And also, yeah. 
you don't have to worry about making decisions yourself and being more creative. It's like the creative part happens in this little creative silo. Obviously things yeah. can change. So I think that is one solution to that problem that you're posing, like not having things ready for the builder. And I agree with you that yeah. that could be frustrating on your end. Um, but also I think it would be really helpful that you should create for my audience, Brian. <laughs> on the spot, I'm like, this would be so, this is like the teacher in me. I'm thinking of like resources and what's super valuable to designers. I feel like you should create a cheat sheet for designers that's like literally the order of, and obviously there's like, take it with a grain of salt, things can change. But like you just said that. And I was like, why did no, why did, I never knew that. I mean, it, to you, that might sound silly. Like, of course you need the windows and doors first. Duh, you need the plumbing. Duh. People don't know that. They don't teach us that in school. They don't yep. teach you the order of when you're going to need decisions. They don't teach builders that either. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wherever so builders go to get training, they don't teach that. <laughs> Seriously, so. it's crazy. But like yeah. a cheat, like a one page, I'm like, this is the teacher in me. I'm like, I can see it. It's a one page cheat sheet, which, which is like when you're doing a remodel, here are all of all the materials that you need to select for your builder. This is the chronological order of what is needed. Yeah. Honestly, and you know what? Like that would help me. And you know what? Um, this is something that like every builder just takes for granted in their mind. And as you said, it'd be immensely valuable for a designer to have. And this is where we get that alignment, right? It's just, it's kind of like this thing that's just sitting there. It's hiding in plain sight. We know it, right? As builders, we know the order of construction. As designers, again, you know, you're not taught that specific and same with architects, right? Like, I've, I've worked with fantastic architects out there that, you know, and I don't want to, I'm not, I'm trying to be politically correct as well, but I would say that they don't really fully understand the order of operations of building that house kind of thing and understanding what we need first and what we need second, third, and all the way down the line. And that's because the majority of architecture programs do not teach how to manage proper CA or construction administration. They don't actually teach it from, you know, kind of that builder perspective, which is sad because, People spend a lot of money to go to architecture school and they should really come out. I think it's only one semester in a lot of programs that, or one class in one semester that they teach that. And so I think that there's a large divide there and I'll be happy to, uh, to put that together for you, Rebecca, and for your network. So, yeah. um, cause it's yeah. something that, it's something that we have built already and it's, you know, something that can just really help. And I would say that as time goes on, as you develop your A team, you develop your partners that you work with. It's all about that early, often communication. We'll always come back to that, right? Just consistently work and iterate on that list to make sure you get that process down. And by the time, you know, you fast forward a few months from now or a year from now, you just know it like the back of your hand. Like if you ask me right now, list the first 30 things I need, I could probably work my way through it because I've just been through it so many times. But the same sort of thing here. If you have a list, keep refining it, keep talking about it, keep going through it. It becomes like the back of your hand. Totally. And I, they don't teach that in design school either. I think that would be super valuable. And I think it's funny in design school, I mean, people pay a lot and they put in a lot of time, like four <laughs> years yeah. uh, for most, and they come out of it mostly with experience designing commercial uh, spaces, to be honest with yeah. you. That's been my experience. I see people's portfolios when they're applying for jobs. I'm like, that's really great. You designed a hospital. Well, we don't design hospitals. Um, I'm really glad you have that skill set. Yeah. Uh, it's completely different. And I think, and I, I'm making this up. I'm making up this statistic, guys. Don't <laughs> me. But I would say the majority of students who graduate from interior design school don't end up working at a commercial design firm. 
they probably yeah. end up filtering into the residential sphere and no one is preparing them. I know I wasn't prepared for what residential design and that's like a whole um, yeah. rainbow of things. But specifically when it comes to building and we're not the executors, like we're not the ones building. So we're not thinking that way. We don't think about okay, well, when do I need to order the lumber or the doors or the trim or any of that? Because I don't supply those materials. So I would tell you, and this is embarrassing, but after, I don't know, what have I, I've been doing this for 12 years now. I still don't really know the order. I mean, I know mm-hmm. what we need to start ordering on our end to make sure it's there in time. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, so good. Yeah, the order and that connection to understanding it and the collaboration. And just like you you just touched on a point there, which was, you know, a big premise of what I've been thinking as we've been chatting and, and kind of preparing for today's podcast is just the, the difference in perspective. Again, coming all the way back to who is this person when I'm speaking to my contracting or my trade partner, like who is this person? What is their daily life like? And just like you said, you know, lumber and drywall and screws and all this kind of stuff, the level of information that, that we're managing as builders and the level of communication or sorry, uh, 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 I just went brain dead. Um, I was going to say coordination. That's the word I was looking for. The level of coordination we need to manage on an ongoing basis for X number of projects that we're running at the same time, it makes us like headless chickens. And so when we get requests that feel like they're out of left field for something that is either way in the distance or way behind, Sometimes that's probably why you're getting a bit of an emotional reaction from these builders that might say things like, don't worry about it. It's life's too short to stress. Or, you know, I'm just going to put in what you told me to put in, or that's what the plan says, or whatever it is. There's this lack of collaboration because you're hitting us sometimes at a moment where it's not you, it's really us and all the chaos around us because we don't have it structured. And I think ultimately it comes down to, you know, if you have that process, if you can align a way, like if we can align together to the order, because that project is not in the sequence because a builder said it is and vice versa that a designer said it is. It's really just how you build a house. You don't frame a house and then lift it up and put it on a foundation. I mean, that's just not how you do it. So there is a sequence of how things happen. I think if everyone gets aligned to that and per, and basically approaches the project from that perspective, it's going to help smooth out so many of these different things because um, you know, if you've ever worked with some, have you ever worked with somebody that just knows what the next step is, and they just start planning for it or start doing something for you? I worked with this one carpenter um, when I about 10, 12 years ago. We would work together. He was still learning and everything like that, but he was fantastic at reading the play, like reading the situation. He knew that if I was finishing up something, he would just disappear, and I would be like, "Oh, that's funny. Where did he go?" And then I would end up packing up that area of the house that we're working in and go, you know, maybe it was outside and we're going to go frame a shed roof or something like that, whatever it was. And I get there, the sawhorses are set up, the stack of lumber's there, the cords there, the saws there. Like he just had the foresight to look at it. And that's kind of the picture I'm trying to paint here is if you know what's coming next and you can anticipate it, that's where you can be a step ahead of us as builders. Um, Coming back to your point about designing everything at the beginning, that is the ideal scenario for everybody involved, client, trade partners, GC, yourselves, engineers, everybody around the table. That is the ideal scenario for sure. And what I like about it too, is you do get a more accurate quote because absolutely elected everything. <laughs> well, here's, here's your nugget from the estimating masterclass. The real problem you're solving for is a scope of work problem, not a numbers problem. 
Mm-hmm. And that's really what it comes down to. If you design everything up front, you you can define that scope of work. You can get a better estimate. You it, that estimate becomes now your budget as opposed to it being this wild guess. I said that to my client. I was in a consultation yesterday with a potential client, and I said that. I said, you know. You can have a contractor come in, but until you know exactly what you're going to do, they're just going to be making up a number like $100,000, right? And then they don't know the cabinetry design yet. They don't know the tile. They don't know the hardwood floor selection. They don't know which wall is actually going to come down. So they're they're really just hurting. They're shooting themselves in the foot and starting the process off in a terrible way because you're always going to have that number from the beginning stuck in your head. I just want to circle back and I know we're running out of time, but I want to circle back to this one thing that I think is really important and you talked about like knowing what's next. <clears throat> a big issue for designers uh, and a frustration, myself included, our team included, is scheduling. Yeah. So like, what is the deal? Why do most contractors not provide a schedule? I feel like I feel like the squeaky wheel is supposed to get the oil. I hate being the squeaky wheel. I'm not a nagger. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So. Yeah. I just love it when someone can just do the job and just provide a schedule, which is like so rare. What is the yeah. deal with that? How can you... I know somebody asked about that somewhere here in my notes. I can't find it yeah. right now, but I know that's... And I saw it and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. That's me. Like, how do you get a proper schedule? And I know things will change. Like, I get that, but I need to have a sense just... And maybe this is comes back to what you say is not knowing what's next. Like, I would like to have a schedule so that mm-hmm. I ensure that you have the plumbing or I ensure that you have whatever you need to have in time for it happening so that we don't get there. And all of a sudden, it's like, I need the tile. The tiler's coming tomorrow. It's like, well, shoot. You know, I, I did order the tile, but I, I should have ordered it sooner. Or I don't know, something like that. So like, what's the deal with scheduling? Help me out, Brian. <laughs> All right. So here's the first thing we need to know about scheduling. Um, the dirty little secret I'll tell you is I absolutely hate schedules. And the reason that I hate them is because the moment that you finish a schedule, it's already out of date. So replay that if you need that again, or I'll repeat it. The moment you finish a schedule, it's already out of date. And that is the big reason why schedules are a big deterrent from just a human conditioning standpoint is that we as builders tend to look at it and we're like, it's going to take what it's going to take. There's, especially when we're in this custom world, it's very difficult to predict certain elements of it. What I would say though, is that if you are working with contractors or builders that aren't providing you a schedule, then you're not working with the right people because there are a lot of, especially in the Toronto area, I've worked for a bunch of them and there are a lot of really fantastic companies out there that will provide that schedule and that will make those iterations and adjustments in real time. Just like you said, I mean, we all have to accept that it's an organic and a fluid process is is really what it comes down to. When you are the type of builder that is just running, I always say that you are either running a series of projects or you're running a business and you can't do both kind of thing. In other words, if you're just going from project to project to project, you're basically an employee of the company and you're just running a series of projects. If you're a business owner, it's a very different scenario. You're putting in systems and processes that are going to you know, make your company run like a well-oiled machine. Again, fully you know, observing the fact that it's an organic and fluid business and process that there's no perfection out there. But um, when you are running a series of projects as a contractor, and those are the people that you're working with. I think it's, an, it's somewhat of an unrealistic expectation that they're going to actually give us a schedule because they don't have a schedule for their own life, most likely, right? They're working crazy long days. Uh, I always say you don't have to look very far when you're talking about buying patterns for somebody 
or we're talking about how do you manage your money or like how would you manage a client's money? How would you manage a client's project? You don't have to look very far. You just have to look in the mirror. And that's typically a reflection in your business of how you'll manage it. So these individuals that you may be working with probably just don't have a good handle on their own scheduling. So how are they possibly going to predict the schedule for a project? And I think a lot of it comes down to them. It's kind of like survival in a way. They need to put their time resource to the loudest or the tallest burning fire, right? And it's a terrible analogy, but um, that idea of whatever is screaming loudest is, gets our attention. And you know, so you might as a designer be that squeaky wheel saying, I need a schedule, I need a schedule. Then you might get something that has no relevance, maybe is not in the correct order and isn't really well flushed out. And so the truth is, is that I think... Ultimately, we're working with the wrong people if they can't give us a schedule. And I think coming back to the early and often in that one pager, you know, that conversation about schedule is really important, really, really early on, helping everybody get aligned and say, we're expecting nine to 10 months for this project. Does that feel about right? In getting that kind of what we call like a work back schedule, you know, kind of laid out so that we know both from the design phase, but the production phase, what are going to be. What is the general flow and process? And the truth is, once you kind of put all this energy into doing this once or a couple of times, it's repeatable, right? And that's the sad part about it is that a lot of guys just start out building a fence, then they build a deck, then they do a bathroom, then they do a kitchen, then they do a main floor, then they do a full house, right? That's the trajectory. And along the way, they don't put systems in place to help them manage it. Schedule is one of them. Yeah, that's interesting. And designers the same, you know, it's the same idea. It's like first you start helping your friend with their bathroom and then someone calls about the living room and then all of a sudden you got a main floor and then you need to hire a contractor, then you need to have an employee and you you're just like you said, I love that. I wrote which I just wrote that down. I love that. Either you're running a series of projects or you're running a business. And I think that that is the tipping point where you can shift from just like you say, like running project to project, putting out fire after fire, just trying to get through the day, trying to get it done to move on to the next one, to just keep moving and keep working is not the same thing as running a business. Absolutely. It's like you got to look at, you know, if you take all of your time in a week, 100%, take that 100%, you can't just spend like, 100% of that working on projects, right? You have to pull some time aside from that to work on your business, right? You you know, it's so cliche. We all say it. Don't work so much in your business, work on your business. Easier said than done, right? I mean, it's the reality for all of us, but it's the incremental components of this, right? Take 5% each week right now and just start working on one thing and then finish that thing. Maybe it takes you several weeks to do that, then move to the next thing. And slowly what you do, and this is what I'll be teaching in my class, the big thing for me is about giving people time back, right? Is putting these systems in place and really, really quickly getting some early wins so that you you open up some time, right? And it's really one of the key secrets there is the power of delegation. And so, you know, just understanding how to put that in place and really it's a mindset thing. But you basically just got to, you can't put 100% to all these projects. You've got to work on your business because it'll never get better. You'll continue to receive the same results. Yeah. Totally. That took me a long time to learn. I'm still learning, still growing, but yeah, that was a game changer. Delegating and having a process. I can yeah. I it's like the biggest game changer in my business, more than any marketing, any PR, yeah. was the process because the internal my life, selfishly, my life is less chaotic. I wanted my life to be less chaotic. Yeah. People are still hiring us and my publicity and marketing are really important, which is why I did the momentum course first. But then I realized without the process, without those systems, as you say, what are you marketing? Yeah. You can't 
you can't market a house that isn't in order, right? Yeah. Well, um, it's like you, you, you know, you're either selling and closing projects, which is great, but then you enter service debt. Right. And mm-hmm. service debt is where the rubber meets the road. And is really the topic of today's podcast is about how do we work together to get this project outcome, you know, complete or this project complete and get a great outcome. That's the goal. Right. But we gotcha. land in this service debt problem. This is where a lot of contractors run around from project to project to project because they're in service debt. They think that they need to take all these projects on. And then there's this is where all the breakdowns and communications are. So, you know, in a roundabout way, what I'm saying, if you if you read between the lines, is you know, as designers, we need your help to help us get organized in a way. And so, um, you know, having great, I'm already a parent. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to add the contractor to that. <laughs> but I more know, from a right. you know from a proactive expectation setting, and you know, look, the the reality is is that I think if you bake this into your process early on. And that scheduling component, the order and the sequence of how the house gets built and what design decisions need. Like, I need windows and plumbing fixtures first. The very next conversation that starts happening is millwork because there can often be four to six month lead time for something like that, right? Really, from the time you start talking about it to the time it shows up in like a large scale project, it's easily that amount of time. We can't start talking about it, you know, a month before we need it on site, obviously. Whereas, you know, maybe the hinges and the door handles are something that we don't have to worry about, at, obviously, at the beginning. But it's important that we match them to the finishing trim on the plumbing fixtures because they're going to be seen in the same bathroom, right? So, you know, it's kind of like everything's connected, as we know, but there definitely is that triage. And I think baking that in early in your process as a designer, when I, when I read and hear, you know, the kind of the emotion coming out from the words that, you know, your community has, has said to you and responded to you with, that is where I see this dovetail. That's where I see a solution here is basically baking this part in early in your process. You come to a builder with this and it's actually laid out. You know, the, the, the secret is that a builder gave it to you, but um, nonetheless, you know, you come to a builder with this, they're going to be much more receptive to understanding, you know, kind of who you are, your process, working with you, collaborating with you. Like this is going to, you know, potentially be a, Pretty big game changer for everybody listening here. Totally. And so I should keep doing that document. We didn't, you didn't answer my question. Maybe I need to show it to you first. <laughs> the one pager? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think the one pager, yeah. I mean, I'm happy to look at it. And, and the truth is, is that I think it's about what's on it, right? The information that's on it is, is really critical. It's just what, what can I expect as a builder? If it's a fluff piece, it's great, but as I said, we're like nuts and bolts kind of people, you know, even for myself who has like a creative side and something that I've always enjoyed working in and I always did my absolute best uh, for any potential designers that I've worked with listening to this. Um, I assure you, I always tried to do my absolute best when we were, you know, you know, up against it in these projects. Um, I've always enjoyed that. The reality is, is that there's not, I wouldn't say there's a large variety of people out there in the building trades that are like that kind of thing. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, nuts and bolts kind of people. We do just kind of want to know what we're building so that we can plan ahead, right? Because it's, we get that information the day before, that's way too late for us, right? And simply because there's materials we have to order. Um, I teach my builders like weekly objective plans, right? So like we should know this week what's happening next week. And of course, all the weeks after that. But generally speaking, we're like, this is where we're getting in action and we're ordering materials. We're arranging our trade partners. We're talking to our team about what the objectives are, what's happening so they can start processing it 
when these last minute changes come in or information comes in like the day before, two days before, that's where you reach that emotional point with these builders is because we're just, it disrupts our own sort of workflow. It's so funny hearing you say that. I'm like, oh yeah. When you change how you do things and then it becomes ingrained, you almost forget what your life was like before. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And so hearing yeah. you say that, I'm like, I'm thinking, yeah, no, well, that doesn't happen to us. And then I thought, oh man, that was me. Like that was me. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I would be calling the contractor and changing things and suggesting and saying, oh, I just found this tile, but it's back ordered. So then the whole project would be put on hold or whatever. Like, oh my God, yes. Change your process, yeah. change your life. Seriously. And here's here's one other thing I'll just, I'll just leave here. It's in the same topic is when we get like... Uh, and uh, everyone calls these different site instructions or SKs, SIs, whatever we want to talk about or whatever we want to call it. It's organic. It's fluid. You design everything up front. You go on site. There's a problem, right? There's an alignment that doesn't quite work. We took out a wall. We thought the, you know, the depths of the rooms were the same and now there's an alignment issue, whatever it is, right? There's, there's always something. Um, you know, really, I would say to any designers or architects here listening to this, a builder pain is when we wait and we wait and we wait for this design to come to us, right? This site instruction, because oftentimes it might be easy for, you know, yourselves as designers or architects to think, well, you can just go work on another part of the building or another aspect or whatever it is. Coming back to the scheduling piece is that there might be a proper sequence here that we're trying to follow. That's not really apparent to maybe the design team, um, hence communication, but nonetheless, that throws us off as well, right? We probably want to stay focused on this because we also have other projects, just like you have other projects, right? And sometimes we, especially for those companies that have internal teams, there are talents that each person has. And sometimes we want to pull a group of people from a project because it's like, they're more of the finishing crowd, right? In our company, we want to pull them onto another project that's just about to be ready. And so I guess I would say like, you know, those site instructions, when you come to site and there's decisions that need to be made, you don't have to make them on the spot, but just consider the distance of time between that meeting and when you actually communicate these things to a builder and just respect that the builder has a schedule they're trying to maintain in other projects and other clients that they're trying to satisfy as well. So, you know, again, it comes to, comes right back to that communication piece, but this was kind of a related topic. So I just want totally. to... So you mean like <laughs> yesterday or Monday, sorry, when they were demoing my second floor and I had a camera crew there and they started to demo the carpet. I'm like, that's really cool. Can you guys also now demo the bathroom so we can catch that on camera? So that was probably not a good thing to ask. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know... I was like, um, okay, you know what? I realized that may not be the process. And I said, no, no, no. I don't want to slow down the timeline for my own reno. I'm like, just follow your process. I can come back tomorrow and capture my own b-roll and like show the tub coming out or whatever <laughs> yeah for sure and you know and here's here's a great example so if you had talked to the contractor before the project started and said hey i'm gonna be filming this here's what we're thinking from a shot selection or like we storyboarded this and this is what we're kind of thinking it'd be great if we could do like a little bit of demo here so we can capture it and then when we have like at the same time can we just like, would you guys mind for 20 to 30 minutes? Could we just shift to the bathroom? Then we're going to leave you alone kind mm -hmm. of thing. That conversation up front, that's early and often, right? If, that, if that's planned ahead. Now, it's very difficult for everybody to think about everything, as we know. But this is a great crystallized example of how you know we can frame the conversation first for somebody. And then hopefully, if we can get an agreement there, that is a true yes, not just a false yes. 
um, then, you know, then we can actually... I love how you think that. I like storyboarded it and I'm really that organized. I heard that <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I probably should have done that. That's really, really great. You know, it's in all forms, you know, it could be in your mind. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a lot going on up there. I'll tell you. Okay. So we do have to wrap up, but before we go, um, I'm really excited to tell everybody that you are going to be you are going to be doing a, a training as part of the inside of my Power of Process course. It's kind of a surprise. I'm not going to say it's going to be a little bonus that's going to come out. You do have to uh, register early. And uh, oh, actually, by the time this podcast airs, registration is open. Boom. Boom. So stay tuned. Keep watching because there is a bonus coming out with Brian. And it's basically an extension of this topic. Do you want to share anything else about that? Or we're not going to give anything away? (laughs) Um, You know, really, we're going to kind of pull together some of these these topics that we've talked about today. Uh, There will be, you know, happy to share that resource that we've talked about in this podcast today. That's going to be, as I said, I think a pretty big takeaway for a lot of designers. I'm going to dig a little bit more into the psychology of the builders. And we're going to talk about this process that I've used and taught for a while. I'm actually speaking at the building show on this as well. And in, in, well, it airs in late November um, because it's a hundred percent virtual conference this year. Um, but it's basically this topic uh, that we're going to talk about. Uh, how do we collectively work together? And there's kind of a, you know, I won't, I won't, dig in too much into that, but it's really just this general mental framing and a framework that you can use as a contractor, as a remodeler, custom home builder, designer, architect, whomever. It's for all it's built for all of us. And that's something that we'll be we'll be going through. Yeah. And I'm I'm excited about that because in the uh, live training that Brian is doing as a bonus as part of Power of Process, you guys will be able to ask your questions. So if you sign up and you are a member of Power of Process you you can attend the live training and you can ask. I mean, I feel like Brian, you're going to get bombarded because I feel like all the designers are gonna be like, what do I do in this situation? What do I do with this builder? What do I do with that? <laughs> so just be prepared. We like to talk a lot. Um, but yeah, there'll be an opportunity for you to ask Brian your questions directly when it relates to relationships, um, trades, contractors, builders, and designers, because this is a hot topic. Yeah, for sure. Where else can you get on screen with a former builder with no ego? <laughs> well, you're going to have to follow us along. Um, can you let everybody else or everyone listening know where they can find you? Uh, yeah, I mean, easiest place is the website constructionconsulting.co. And then, of course, I'm pretty active on Instagram as well. It's the same handle at constructionconsulting.co. Awesome. I'm really excited. Thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. (laughs) Um, And I'm really excited that you um, have offered to collaborate with me for my course. I'm really excited to share all your knowledge and just uh, soak it all up myself because clearly I still have some things that I need to work on. (laughs) Well, it's great to be here again. And you know, the truth is, it's all about, it's all about community in this building industry. And this topic of collaboration has been something that I've been very passionate about for a number of years. I recognize that there's a lot of broken things in this industry. I'm only one person, but you know the amount of help and you know effort that I can put towards making this a better industry, I think is has been already incredibly well received and something that I think is really important work. You know, if I look back, 
What did I do to actually, with all the years of experience that I have, what did I do to give back to this community and to actually move the industry forward? And that's really the goal. So uh, this all aligns really nicely for me as well. Awesome. Well, I think you're already doing it. So I'm excited to learn from you. Thank you again. And I'm going to see you inside Power of Process. Sounds great. Well, wasn't that just dandy? I mean, Brian offers a totally different perspective. It's funny, when I started this podcast, I thought, I'm going to interview badass women to talk about resilience, uh, which I'm still going to do, obviously. But as a designer, it would be remiss for us to not talk to a builder. I mean, hello, so many of us are focused on remodeling. And even if you do primarily decorating, at some point in time, you will have to interact with a remodeler, a a renovator, a builder, um, and trades. So this was a really great episode for me. I know I had some like deep aha moments really when it came to talking about personality and how we need to be so much more aware of the people that we are bringing into our lives. I I think I need to do a separate podcast about that. I was like, whoa, this is good. Um, But as we mentioned, he is going to be offering a special bonus for the elite members of Power of Process. And that will not be available until next week. So stay tuned. On the 9th, that becomes available. And if you purchase Power of Process before or on the 9th and 10th, you will get access to his super sweet bonus. I'm really excited that he's going to be part of it with me. Uh, Also, if you're still kind of on the fence with Power of Process and you're not sure what it's about, you should join my free masterclass. It's happening November the 11th at 1 p.m. It's free. Go RebeccaHay.com forward slash masterclass and you can sign up and I'll share with you a little bit more. I'll give you some actual tangible takeaways on how to work on your own process and you can learn more about the course. All right, everybody. That's it. Go forth and prosper and work with your builders. I will see you soon.